0: Okay, quite on the set everybody. Stand by, roll camera, speed, roll sound, speed, market, and cute talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production the Podcast. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and joining me is another Art Aldridge, my father.
1: Older, wiser, and much more handsome. Welcome to This
0: Week in Production. Well thank you, Arthur. I'm glad to be your guest. Now this is Father's Day Sunday and uh, we're having dinner and a little, you know, Father's Day get together. You might hear my wife in the background scraping dishes and breaking glass and things that you know are not explainable to the podcast audience, but in case you hear some strange sounds, that's what it is. But I thought it would be fun to go back and look at your sort of youth and um, young career and where you are now. And as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So being, you know, that I'm quite high on the genius level, I'm sure that, you know.
1: Well, it has to come from somewhere. It has
0: to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll track down my parents sometime. <laughs> anyway... At what point in your childhood did you realize that you had a creative side? I got my inspiration actually from
1: listening to the radio. Radio was the big medium when I was growing up uh, in the late 30s and during the war. And I was fascinated by radio. And that was my career goal. I wanted to go into radio. Uh, Edward R. Murrow was uh, a role model uh, for me. His delivery, uh, the pauses, uh, the the style. I said, gee, I would love to do that. So when I got into junior high school, I started producing in-house radio programs. And in high school... And then at NYU, where I went to classes, I was news director of the college radio station. And we won a great number of awards. Lucky Strike was our big sponsor at that time. And they were trying to promote campus smoking. uh, And we would win awards. We had more equipment that we had won from Lucky Strike, I think, than many of the AM stations in New York City. We were constantly winning awards. And what, and what
0: kind of radio were you doing at NYU?
1: Well, college radio. We had interview shows. We had, we had DJs. We had, uh, uh, we had all kinds of stuff. And I was, the, I was the news director. I would do live interviews. In fact, I broadcast for NYU the inaugural opening of Lincoln Center. And we went down with a remote kit, and uh, it was all leased telephone lines at the time, and we broadcast the opening of, of Lincoln Center. Uh, now, I don't know how many people actually listened to the radio station,
0: but it doesn't matter, because that's where we got our experience. Now, you went for a career in journalism and uh, newspapers, so what happened to the radio path that you were on? Well, when I...
1: Got out of NYU, which was in the later 50s. I um, 1850s. Uh, <laughs> no, 1950s. 1950s. I was in the class of 59, but I didn't finish college at NYU. I had three years there, and then I uh, went to work in the off-Broadway theater, and I did lighting and sound, and I was a tech director in a stage. So rapper. why did why didn't
0: you finish your last year? I uh, ran out of money. <laughs> So you decided to just go and start working? I would start working, and I'd catch up with college later. And, and the first
1: available job was off-Broadway lighting was, tech? They needed tech people. Lighting and sound were much more complicated in the 50s than they, they are now. This was a pre-digital. It was the analog age. And to do lighting, you had to be able to calculate resistance, and load up your uh, dimmers properly. It was, a, uh, it was a science as well as an art. And te- technical people always worked. Actors uh, were always hungry and starving. Tech people worked and got paid. And I was very, I was very happy with that. And then I got into um, NYU's television workshop in the early 60s. And I did work with experimental TV at that time. And I was waiting for a job. I had been promised a job at ABC TV as a production assistant. And I knew a producer that I had worked with off-Broadway. And he said, we'll call you. Well, you've heard that one before. Don't call us. We'll call you. So um, I waited and I waited. And I finally figured, look, I got nothing to lose. Three months have gone by. I called him and the message I got was, oh, he no longer works here. So <laughs> there was my golden entree to television. Uh, and I needed a job. <laughs> so um, this uh, weekly newspaper up in Westchester uh, was looking for production people. And it was, it was a one-ed newspaper, actually. There was no writing involved it was a want ad newspaper and i uh, i took want ads and then i learned to do offset lithography and, I, and within 2 years i was general manager uh and i did, we did all the in-house printing uh but i wanted to write i wanted to get into local journalism so i left that job and i took a job with a newspaper called the eastchester record and that's where i met my uh my wife and we've been married uh, 52 years. But I met her at that, uh, at, at that custom art newspaper. And then when I was working for the Eastchester Record. And I, I had a week uh, to put out a newspaper, which I had never done, by the way. And uh, if I could do it in a week, I could keep the job. I did it in a week. And uh, I've been working with weekly newspapers ever since. And that was in the uh, early 60s.
0: So you, you wanted a career in radio, but you got sidetracked a bit with theater, and then in, in need of cash, you took a job in newspapers, and then you never really looked back from that. Now, I remember as a child, and I don't know how old I was, but you had a, um, a workshop, if you will, in the basement of our house. And I remember going down there, and you had uh, a chop splicer and a bunch of film gang reels and synchronizers. What was that all about? As part of uh, this job, as the you know,
1: <laughs> as the editor of this Eastchester Record, Eastchester was uh, celebrating its tricentennial, and they wanted somebody to produce a documentary film. I said, sure, why not? Now, I had never done a documentary film, but didn't didn't stop me. So they rented a Bolex uh, for me, 16-millimeter Bolex with, uh, with a turret with three lenses in it, and they said, go to it. So I went out and documented the history of Eastchester, and then I came, ho- I came home, and I would do the splicing and the editing, which was extremely tedious. To splice film, uh, extremely tedious, uh, and produce the documentary, they may even still have
0: it. I would, I would love to go and find that and see if <laughs> that's available. I well, I would. I would too. Now, the
1: only unfortunate part was that we couldn't afford to do it as a sound film, so I had to create the narration and the sound effects on tape, <laughs> open reel tape and then tried to synchronize it with the film. Uh, luckily, there was no synchronized dialogue, uh, but uh, it worked uh, well enough, at least, that they were very
0: happy with the with the result. Uh, but um, I, I mean, I remember I remember those images, the visuals, the, the touch, the, the smell of the cement for some reason. And I don't know if that was a, a trigger for where i would you know wind up going in terms of my career but later as i was you know growing up i remember you brought me home i because you were sort of a notorious junk collector you used to go i remember you used to go out on the trash night and just search through garbage which was You know, a little embarrassing, I think, as a kid, but (laughs) I remember you brought me home a Panasonic black and white open reel VHS recording system, half inch. Right.
1: We had actually, I had raised my standards by then. I didn't pick that up at the curb. We had gone to a garage sale run by Cooperative Extension and uh, they were offering uh, this uh, for $25. Uh, it was obsolete, of course. Open real videotape. Uh, totally obsolete. But I bought it. I figured I'd take it home and I'd fool with it. And I figured that if you were interested in it, you could experiment. And if it didn't work or uh, you didn't like it, I'd sell
0: it again. That's all. It was an experiment. I've never been afraid to experiment. No, I I, I will say that you were always willing to attempt to do something, even if you had no formal skills or any skills, (laughs) for that matter, including dishwashers and appliances. Exactly. I do do remember that (laughs) as a child. I think the fire department had to come once because you set the carpet on fire.
1: No, I set the insulation
0: on fire. I was
1: installing a washing machine and soldering plumbing, right. And uh, the insulation went up, uh, right. but they, uh, I put it out before they even came. Right. I disconnected one of the water hoses from the washing machine and sprayed it, so it got disconnected.
0: Now, when I got to high school, I I remember it was like one of my first days. They were literally just getting boxes off a truck for a tv studio that they were going to build and i remember my english teacher was in charge of that studio his name was doug austin and he uh i was walking by and i asked a question like oh what is all this stuff and he said oh we're building a tv studio why don't you uh, help us and i think that for some reason caught my interest and shortly after that you Gave me an opportunity to help you produce a video for a a, a paying video for one of your newspaper advertisers. We write uh, because
1: look, a TV uh, was was a was a, for for the local level TV was an open field at that time. Everybody wanted to get into TV. Cable had just had just set up. It was primitive, the cable operation. It was more like community antenna uh, rather than a sophisticated cable. But everybody was hungry for TV, and it was a wide-open field, like m- many new fields are, like the Internet was at one time. So if it doesn't matter. When, when, when you go to produce something... Nobody says, gee, have you ever done this before? All they want, they want the finished product. We did the same
0: thing for Camp Venture, if you remember. Well, that's, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. So that job mm-hmm. was for this not-for-profit, mm-hmm. and it was like a fundraising yeah. type video. But the way that your, your diabolical brain worked was you said, okay, we need a third of the money up front, and we took that money and we bought cameras. <laughs> and then we just started shooting a bunch of things and, yeah. and you know it was very basic it was it was Panasonic Industrial VHS it was cassette based at that point but it was separate recorders and cameras and they weren't really great in low light And I mean I just remember we went around and shot a bunch of things sometimes we had to go back and shoot again because for some reason it didn't come out mm-hmm. or we didn't get the audio right and then once we had a bunch of footage you said well we need some more money the second installment and then we went and bought some editing equipment right, right. time based corrector a a and b roll well way way before we even got to that because that was when i was really getting into the technology mm-hmm. of the video and i was really understanding you know what was possible and at first we just all we could afford was a cuts only vhs system insert editing and so no dissolves no special effects but there was a company and i'm trying to remember the name now i i can't think of it uh at the moment but they there was a company cytech right was the company and they were making a unit that could time-based correct two sources in one box so instead of needing a time-based corrector for each device this device was one unit that could synchronize two devices all right i remember and that. we bought that with a little ambico switcher <laughs> that did very rudimentary fades right and dissolves and cuts and, and, a t- and an ambico title maker yes also. which was a camera a black y- and white yes. camera and you would put you know reverse type under it and you would key it right very primitive very primitive and that was and so we edited it and we completed the job and i think it was probably i i have a copy of it somewhere and it's pretty bad in terms of technology but what was really good was the storytelling right and that really came from your ability to write and i think that was why the whole thing didn't blow up well they were very happy with it in fact they're still using it And uh, one of uh,
1: the—I managed to get uh, permission to go into Rockland State Hospital, which had been closed, because my memories of Rockland State Hospital was one of a horror show with bunks lined up in rows, and your belongings, if you were a patient, would go in a basket, and they would hoist it up to the ceiling and lock it, and it still had
0: the names— Right. And we we should we should say that that this particular organization was doing ser, you know services for mentally right, challenged right. people and the the state yeah. of mental care in the sixties and the fifties and even part of the seventies was probably pretty horrible and so you were able to get us into this closed facility that had some right really horrifying visuals
1: right well I, I remember that uh, that production very very well. Uh, because despite the fact that the equipment was crude, uh, but it was what people were using. Industrial video, it's what they were using. Despite the fact that it was crude, the story was coherent. And we used images to tell the story. And uh, that's why I was so pleased with it. And uh, Venture is still using it, by the way.
0: Well, I think that really sort of showed me that wow, I could I could actually do this and maybe make a living at it. And really from that point forward, I, I really never had a doubt in my mind about what I wanted to do as a career. I mean, did you as a parent, I mean, were you thinking at all about like this could be a career for my child or was it just something that you said, let's, you know, let them play with it? No, what I tried to do
1: <clears throat> was to... uh expose you and uh, your sister, actually, to any number of different possibilities, Uh, not knowing which one you would choose, if any, as a career path, but at least expose you to it. Because I knew people in college who couldn't decide what they wanted to do. Uh, They were in the wrong major. They wasted time. They wasted credits. They got out. They didn't like the, their, their, the path they had chosen. They had to go study something else. So I tried to encourage this exploration early because that's how I grew up. I grew up exploring. And uh, I, I never looked back. I, th- I, I was very happy with uh, the life that I have made. I've done uh, newspapers. I've done radio. I've done TV. Uh, I've taught i've had a very rewarding life because i'm not afraid to step up and say yes i'll do that and then i'll figure out how to do it
0: i mean i remember going you used to take me to your office on saturdays and i remember going and there were some parts that were like great like for some reason i enjoyed lunch uh you had a very good italian deli near you your office and I do remember like, oh, I couldn't wait for lunch. But then there was also, you know, like the weird, like I remember being in the dark room mm. and you would be processing, you know, photographs and the smell of the chemicals and the gray lab timer <laughs> with the glow in the dark, yeah. you know, uh, numbers. And I remember crushing my, my finger on a can of Varn mm. press wash <laughs> and the smell of ink. Like yeah. I, those are things that I will never forget. And I remember just also the strange cast of characters that worked for you. And I think maybe that had something to do with me not wanting to go into print and, and journalism or maybe not, I don't know. But I do remember that. And I think that was a very good part of you know my childhood was mm-hmm. seeing those things and those experiences. And like you say, learning oh, that interests me, or that, wow, that's terrible. Mm. Like, why would I want to smell these chemicals all well, day? Well,
1: that's, that, 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 that's a good choice. I remember you're saying uh, to me, uh, well, you know, I don't want to go into publishing because, A, I get my hands dirty, and B, there's no money in it. And you're absolutely correct, and there's still no money in it, and I'm still publishing a newspaper. Uh, I like the smell of the ink. I don't smell it anymore because we don't have the presses in the building anymore. We print uh, 100 miles away, send the files digitally and get it get it
0: back the next day. I miss that. I miss this, the... There is something, there is some romance about the sound of the presses and uh-huh. the smell of it. I will definitely remember that for as long as I live. Uh-huh. I also remember that you you were not afraid of technology might not have been cutting edge technology but i remember we always had things at home like computers like i I think we had you know one of the first laser printers Mm -hmm. i mean it was a huge hp yeah yeah device but i remember like you know you brought it home for some reason and we're trying to figure out how to use it for your newspapers or something but you know you always had Equipment and things that were, you know, I guess at the time cutting edge. So I don't really know where they were, but there was never um, something that if you you know wanted to experiment with it, you you would. I would. I did, and
1: I still do. Um, I can remember when programming my VCR was an adventure, uh, but uh, I think we've moved uh, we've moved on for there from there. Now I'm I'm eighty two. And going on eighty-three, and I uh, still like my Mac computers. I like to uh, repair them. I'm not afraid to try new applications and get get into the um, the operating systems as far as I can and fix them and become self-sufficient with the technology. I'm not afraid of technology.
0: Yeah, I would I would say that that was something still to this day that you like to tinker with, probably. Now it probably gets you into more trouble than it than good, but um I I guess it does keep you going to some degree. When was
1: the last time I called you for Mac help?
0: <laughs> yes. I, I do my own. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the the thing about Max, um, you had a friend, Lenny, Lenny Shapiro who who is no longer with us, but he he was very into the computer scene. And I remember you actually uh introduced me to him and I got into the computer bulletin boards and a little bit of hacking and but he had set you up somehow with a system of Macintosh emulation on Amiga hardware right called the M-Plant. right and i remember you were actually trying to run your newspapers right in a day when Macintoshes were $10,000 yep you could put together an amiga for about $2000 and run the same software well 2000 was a
1: lot cuz i would run all over the countryside picking up used amigas wherever i could i remember going down to philadelphia once because some guy was selling an amiga you know for a couple hundred dollars but we set up we set up the whole newspaper using this second third hand equipment and we were publishing three newspapers with these, and um, we were able to get away from traditional typesetting methods and venture into desktop publishing for low investment, low buck, and it worked just as well as the expensive stuff.
0: Yeah, and I, I learned about the toaster, the Amiga, and the Video Toaster from those experiences. And the video toaster was actually something that I was able to turn into, you know, a business That's right. venture. Cause we were using the video toaster to do 3D anim- animation. And we were we had, you know, computers in New York City. We were doing frame by frame animation out to one inch tape. And, you know, that all stemmed from, you know, being introduced to the computer mm-hmm. system uh, from your work and, and uh from Lenny. So yeah, that was, that was all, you know, very, I mean, as a childhood, I mean, you did a pretty good job. I didn't know it at the time. (laughs) I think at the time I might've been a little angry. I know I I was angry because we had the same name Mm -hmm. and there would always be confusion if the phone rang and they would ask for art. And I didn't know if it was for me or for you. And that was always a little confusing and then male was the same way but as i got older i realized that that was you know not really uh something that i should be angry about now you know
1: no you could be angry about something else if you like it's okay yes yes
0: but but like i said as i got older and now i have kids of my own i i try to adopt some of the same parenting techniques trying to expose my kids to different things. Not You didn't have a very heavy hand, so to speak. I mean, on occasion, I do remember raising your anger level a few degrees, but it wasn't too often. And uh, that was probably because you didn't know about most of the stuff that I got into trouble with. But um, I think in the end it turned out pretty well. I think it turned out great. So as we wrap this up, I, I want to say cheers to you. As a father, thank you. I don't know how many times I've told you that, but you did a pretty good job. Well, thank you the very much. The proof is in the pudding. And <laughs> I must say I exceeded much of the uh, expectations. You have
1: far exceeded. And, uh, you know, that's one of the hopes of a parent is that their children will do better than they did. And you certainly have. You've taken... Uh, your own ability, you've taken your background, and you've moved ahead. You've moved into your own realm, and you've been independent for most of your life. And that is freedom is so precious because most people spend their lives basically in some sort of a job that they either loathe or despise or do because they have to uh, at the Mercy of fate, and they become very dissatisfied. Uh, Thoreau once said that uh, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Well, I was determined that I wouldn't do
0: that, and you didn't do it either. I did definitely learn that lesson from you and and um, that was a good lesson to learn and i've I've tried to you know embrace that and 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 also to encourage others to look for that same sort of you know freedom and and happiness because you don't always get all the the other benefits of you know maybe a regular job but what you gain is sanity Uh, (laughs) absolutely and you're your own person and you go home at
1: night and you're satisfied with what you do and you've done something worthwhile and creative and you've made a lasting contribution uh, to, make, to improve the world that, that you live in. And that's what I like to do, and that's what you've done. I think it's great.
0: One, one last question. So if you had pursued that radio career, what was the dream job in radio that you had hoped for? I wanted to produce documentaries.
1: In fact, I did. <clears throat> uh, in New Rochelle for a radio station named WVOX. Uh, there was a hospital strike at Lawrence Hospital in Bronxville. Uh, local 1199 uh, of the Hospital Workers Union went out on strike, and it was real. It was a real um, clash because the workers, who were miserably underpaid, were mostly African American and Hispanic, and the hospital was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant establishment. And the workers not only felt they were being underpaid, but undervalued for the work that they, they did. So um, I spoke to the, uh, the president of the radio station. I said, look, this is a story, and um, I want to do a documentary. I want to get both sides. And I did. Now, I had never produced a documentary. I had never, I had very seldom even edited tape, a quarter-inch recording tape. But I managed to do this. I put had tape hanging up all over the apartment. This is before you were born, with tags on it as to what it was and how long it ran. And I put the documentary together. And they aired it. They aired it a number of times. So uh, I got that experience. So I would have done radio documentaries. But by that time, radio as the dominant medium was finished. It was AM radio was languishing. And it was tv tv took off uh explosively uh in the 50s and early early 60s so i simply had to find a new career path or
0: well again thank you happy father's day <laughs> yes and cheers you too do you have something to say drop me an email at thisweekinproduction@gmail.com, at gmail.com or even better call our new twip voice mailbox and leave us a message 601-564-twip. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay. That's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.